0: There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
1: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate And support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need
2: Indeed. Hey, welcome to a bonus episode of the Nerdist Podcast, number 370, I guess. I guess we still have to number the bonus episodes. Um, This is the press conference for Man of Steel that I moderated uh, a couple weeks before the movie came out. And... I held on to it until the Sunday of opening weekend because there are spoil. Well, let me just put it this way. There are spoilers. There are more thematic spoilers. Um, it's not necessarily that specific plot points are spoiled in the movie or specific events are spoiled in the movie, but there are still some thematic spoilers because the actors are talking about motivations and how they see the characters and you know why they feel they reacted in certain situations in the movie. So I... Um, so, here's my advice to you. If you haven't seen the movie yet and you don't want to know anything about it going in, then definitely don't listen to this podcast until after you see the movie. Um, or if you don't care, then go ahead and listen. And if you have seen the movie, then I think uh, it'll be a, a nice companion piece to, to the movie to give you some insight into you know, where all the creators and the performers were at. It's uh, almost the entire cast and producers and writer David Goyer and Zack Snyder and Hans Zimmer. Uh, so it's bit—it's really a pretty impressive panel. And uh, and so I asked Warner Brothers if I could put it out because they recorded it and they were cool about it. And they were like, sure. It's Nerdist Podcast, episode number 370, bonus, Man of Steel. You will bow down to me, Nerdist Podcast listeners. First you and
3: then your ass.
4: Now entering Nerdist.com.
2: Also producing Man of Steel, Debbie Snyder. As Martha Kent, Diane Lane. As Jor-El, Russell Crowe. As Clark Kent, uh, also kal L. Superman, Henry Cavill. Director-producer, Zack Snyder. Lois Lane, Amy Adams. General Zod, Michael Shannon. Yeah. Feora Anchatrao. Uh, writer David Goyer. Holy. And legendary composer Han Zimmer. A massive torrent of applause from the press. Uh, <laughs> Here we go. This is going to be fun. Uh, yes, no, I will. I swear to God, I will get to you. It's going to be so exciting. Your question is going to be great. Uh, but I do want to start. I just want to ask Zach. Uh, just first of all, yes. Because I saw the movie last night and I loved the crap out of it. And uh, loved the crap. I loved the crap out of it. That's good. No one's going to quote anything I say, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but uh, I will. So in just sort of, dis- I'm sure you've been asked this question a million times, but just for these guys, in sort of deciding like what the structure of the movie was going to be and. Who was going to be the main opposing force in the film? What was it about Zod? Because we couldn't really talk about this at Comic Con last year because it wasn't public. What right. was it about Zod that sort of that made you say, "Yeah, that's a story that I want to tell"?
5: I'm uncomfortable talking about it now because it's okay. Still... Good. No, I'm just kidding. We'll work I'm through it joking. together. I'm just, I'm just joking. Um, I think that uh, I think that uh, Zod. The cool thing about Zod is that you know he offers a real um, threat, you know, to Superman, like. A, Physical and emotional threat to Superman that is, you know, much stronger than any, you know, earthbound, possibly earthbound threat. So, you know, he's able to not only um, match him physically, but also he represents his people. So he's, he's a hard, he's a hard opponent that way.
2: Yeah. And then also, just in the reporting today, obviously, I'm sure, because you guys, everyone saw the movie, right? It'd be weird if you didn't. Um, everyone saw the movie, so, you know, in the reporting, maybe try to be respectful of your audience and not give too many spoilers, because the internet is murderous about that kind of stuff. So I'm going to talk in sort of a little bit more general terms today. But I just want to say that I really enjoyed that uh, Zod had a real reason for doing what he was doing other than just, oh, he's a jerk. You know, like he really had a, a very nice, real, organic reason for everything that happened absolutely yeah
5: he he we michael and i talked about right at the beginning that like we wanted Zod to be his point of view to be um pretty you know pretty clear and that you know he didn't want anything that possibly if this was happening to your planet and you were trying to save the people that you loved you know what what lengths would you go to
2: yeah all right, so this gentleman up front. Yes, you had a question first. Uh, I was going to ask Amy Adams, who is a great Lois Lane in here, but it's a Lois Lane we've never seen before, to say the least. Can you talk about how, you know, what attracted you to the part, Amy, and how you see this Lois uh, as different from
3: Other. any
2: previous ones? Yeah.
3: Sure. Um, I I grew up watching Superman and, and loving um the characters and uh i think i've let it be known that i've auditioned several times this was my third try so thank you zach for letting <laughs> me play lois um
5: it's my pleasure
3: <laughs> but uh, i loved uh when i talked to zach about this uh this incarnation of lois what i loved was she was definitely still the intrepid reporter but she was somebody who was going to be a part of the solution not just part of the problem and she was going to have more of a like an inner track on Clark and and sort of be on the inside as opposed to being on the outside and I really liked that and I thought that was a very unique idea and um I really loved that Zach wanted it to be this big amazing film but also was very important to him to focus on the characters and the truth and grounding the characters in reality as much as possible in this amazing world that he created.
2: That's a really cool point because it really, what I got from watching the movie, uh, not that anyone asked, but I'm going to tell you because I have a microphone, um, uh, is, is is the humanizing of all the characters and these characters that we've seen before. And, you know, Lois was not just this one-dimensional, hey, I'm a plucky reporter. Like she was a person, you know, she was a real person.
3: Yeah. He, I, he, he wanted all of the characters to have a really true heartbeat. And um, we spent a lot of time talking about that. And that impressed me
4: about Zach.
2: Excellent. Uh, next question. Yes, sorry. ma'am.
4: Hi. <laughs> um, just wanted to say, first off, yeah, I loved it. <laughs> um, and this question is for Zach, Henry, and Hans, um, because music plays a huge part in this movie. So for, per- for personally for Superman, what music would be on his iPod would Superman listen to, and what hip-hop artists or songs would he listen to to make himself feel super?
5: Oh, you mean like his, ga- his locker room music?
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> his pre-game? His jock jams
5: yeah that's cool I've...
2: wow he's from Kansas probably dust in the yeah. wind by Kansas nice Kansas
4: <laughs>
6: that's
7: a really good que- that's a really good question um, one which I don't really have the answer for right now um, maybe like a whole bunch of a uh, Hans Zimmer score <laughs> <laughs>
5: like like Black Hawk Down
7: yeah Gladiator
6: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, yeah, no I think that. that's on Russell's <laughs> iPod. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know uh, the, the, the whole point was we were trying to go and give him some custom music, I believe, you know, and um, I hope we succeeded. I think,
2: well, Superman's an alien, so it's probably just like dolphin sounds or some sort of weird thing that human ears I That's cool. The
5: next to. time I get asked that question, I'm going to have a really good answer for yeah, it. Yeah, that's good. <laughs>
2: yeah. Just print Spice Girls' greatest hits and see what people say. Uh, yes, you, sir, front.
6: Yes, Sure. So I would like you to talk a little bit. This is like two short questions about the same topic. It's just the superpowers that you guys have as, as characters. I was wondering, Henry, uh, there's a lot of CGI, but how was doing the flight scenes? Did you, did you have to do something related to that? And then for both, uh, you're superheroes, so you're like kind of, you have superpowers, so you're not, typic, you don't fight like in a typical way, but there's some martial arts styles in there, mixed with some, something different, so I would like you to talk about these things. First, the flying thing for you, and then for both uh, martial arts or
2: not, kind of style that you use. Okay. In short, superpowers and uh, fighting styles. Yeah.
7: Right. Uh, well, uh, flight, for one, um, there was a lot of rehearsal involved. Uh, when it came to actual super speed flight, it was mostly belly pan work. A uh, belly pan is just sort of the, the mold of the front of a person's body, and you, and you lie in it, and there was a special gimbal created. So had a guy in a green suit and a green screen moving it, dependent on Zach's direction, and uh, I just had to imagine what it was like to fly with lots of uh, help from Zach's sort of imagery attached to it and his direction. Um, there was also a lot of wire work, which we did uh, during the whole stunt process. Um, that was incredibly complex, and the guys tested it amazingly. Um, a guy called Jim Churchman uh, just did a fantastic job on the wires. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, that was probably the funnest part for me as far as flying because I got to be 40 feet up in the air um, and sort of just completely out of control, sort of in my own control, someone else's control, thank goodness. Um, and that was the stuff which made you feel like flight and Superman.
8: It's mostly crab Maga. No, uh, I think the important thing to remember is on Krypton, Zod does not have any superpowers. He's just a general. He's been uh, training for a long time, whooping butt for a long time there on Krypton. And then he comes to Earth, and he goes through a similar thing that Kal-El goes through when he comes to Earth. It's basically just the acclimatizing to the environment, so... But yeah, I mean, Zod's been doing those moves since he was a little boy, probably, you know?
2: Antje, what about you? Uh, Antje, it's just in terms of... Have you ever done a movie with heavy uh, fighting sequences before?
4: No, never before. That was probably the biggest movie I've done when it comes to um, action sequences. But yeah, it's almost like... Sort of like a dance. You, um, It's been choreographed, like... Uh, pretty much in any detail, and you rehearse this for hours and weeks and months, and then you step in front of a camera, and um, it's quite amazing when everything comes together, the costume, makeup, and, um, yeah, it's, it's been an amazing uh, moment.
2: Well, you were great in the movie, and I, I think now... Thank you very right. much. Hey, i got to see more of that lady. Um, yeah. <laughs> what is your question, sir?
1: This is for Henry. Uh, we use the word icon pretty loosely these days, but there's no questioning that this is an iconic character. Can you talk about? Did you feel some any sort of like responsibility playing Superman, and how did you find your way into the icon?
7: Um, I firstly, I don't think it's about finding my way into an icon. Uh, playing an icon, you don't try and be an icon um, because that defeats the purpose. Um, when I mean, the responsibility attached uh, is enormous, and the realization that it actually really really matters. Meant that I wanted to put the most amount of work into representing the character properly. And that especially applied when I was working out in the gym. When you feel like you can't push any harder um, or you can't lift any more weight, you think, well, hold on a second, I've got to look like Superman. There's a whole bunch of people out there who are relying on me to be that superhero. And so it really helped to, you know, push out those extra few reps and uh, just, you know, become that character. Does that help? I, I have a question about just the, the
2: arc of the character, which is he, Clark spends his whole life, you know, like you can't fight, you can't fight, you can't fight. And then all of a sudden he's in a situation where he has no choice. So what what's going on? What do you think is going on with him mentally? How does he break through
7: that? Um, well, I mean, he, he broke through it in the period where he gets the, the sage advice from Jorel. And it's then when he gets to really test himself. And when it comes to the fighting aspect, it's not really a matter of choice. You have to. And when it comes to characters like that, it's not, okay, now I've got to sort of change my thinking. You just respond accordingly. And that required fighting. Cool.
5: Don't forget the first the first fight, the first punch he throws is in defense of his mother. So it's not like a... Uh, it's kind of... You know, I think if anyone was like...
2: It's instinctual. Yeah. Yeah. That's my mom. About
5: the throwout of your mom, you
2: might Don't, like don't to. touch my mom. You throw up minus, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you'd, you'd beat the crap out of somebody. <laughs> um, uh, who has mine. the microphone next? <laughs> you, you?
8: Henry. <laughs> Just kidding.
1: Yes. Yeah. Question for Henry. I don't think we've ever seen kal or Clark this conflicted about uh, his existential and who he is. Were any classic Superman materials helpful in exploring that? And I also wanted to ask Amy, I know your daughter's only three, but what's a bigger deal, Terry, Superman or the Muppets?
4: <laughs>
3: Mine's a quick answer. That would be, well... I don't know. She really liked Henry in the suit, I have to say. <laughs> she did try to give him a little cheeky grab, which was very funny. She
8: did. Um,
3: she wanted to touch the suit, and she just happened to be at rear-end height. She's going to kill me when she's older. So she really she reached out and gave it a little touch. Um, but she's really into Miss Piggy right now. She just saw me party for the first time. So today she asked me if I was going to work with Miss Piggy. So she's, yes. I would say Muppets, but it's probably she's on the fence.
7: Um, classic Superman material. As far as the conflict that that he went through, or, or, or the um, the journey, it, it wasn't about classic Superman material. Um, there's a lot of different. Yeah, I know. Silence. Um, <laughs> and here comes the heat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get ready to sweat, people. Uh, it's so, it, what when you see Clark traveling through the world, trying to work out, you know, what and who and why he is. Um, I didn't go to source material for that. I, I just uh, thought about... I applied my own life to it. As actors, it's quite a lonely existence. Unless you have someone traveling with you the entire time, um, you, you spend a lot of time by yourself. And you meet new people, you make temporary family, you love them, and then you never see them again, potentially, apart from the odd press conference. And it, it's it, it. you just apply that to the character, and that's exactly what he experiences, is new groups of people constantly and then disappearing and having to introduce himself to these other people and prove to them that he's a nice guy and he does all the right, tries to do the right stuff. And then all of a sudden disappears again. Uh, and so it's just that lonely aspect, which I applied to it as opposed to any classic Superman material.
2: I have a question for Russell, if that's okay. Uh, a jor question. Might, I've got a question for Chuck. Sure. <laughs>
9: um, this is a really important question, Chuck. And I hope that you can give me some sort of guidance here because, uh, Children across America, but particularly my children in Australia, need to know when the Jor-El Lego minifigure will be available. Yeah, I mean that is the question on everyone's
2: mind at this point. That's what you were going to ask. I was. That was my next question: is when about the minifigs,
10: Chuck? Uh, the world is watching. I I, I I hate to to let you down about this, but I actually don't have that date. Although I know it is imminent. Just make it imminent. up.
2: That was pretty good. That was pretty. Just go July seventh. <laughs> No one's going like to check. It's Happy Meal thing. Um, but it, just in terms of uh Jor-El's involvement in the movie. Have you seen even...
9: your minifig Michael? No. <laughs> it's pretty good, man. Yeah. 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 Apart from the mininess, it's a really good likeness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Russell's not going to do the movie unless he can have a minifig. Uh, I guess. <laughs> the deal. Uh, I That's know. the deal. bro.
10: <laughs> but y- Lendl- and, and by the way, your minifig <laughs> is amazing. Have you seen your minifig? No. You'll love it.
9: Oh, okay. <laughs> Um,
0: i talking. over. Yeah. It. Yeah. Lego, Lego,
2: <laughs> which is also the plural Lego. Um, but when you, Jorrell's pretty involved in this movie. And when you see the original Superman, you're like, Oh, Brando came in for an afternoon and just shot all of his stuff, and they put it at the beginning of the movie in a little bit. But Jorel is really it's the soul, kind of the soul of the movie. So, what was the what was the experience for you, just kind of being that uh, with this?
9: I have a confession. Might as well just get it out. Of the, okay. Okay. So we're right we're all friends. I've never seen any other Superman movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, I haven't seen any of the ones with um, that fella in it or the new young fella. didn't see that either. Um, I don't have any references in terms of uh, cinematic experience. The only Superman reference I I have is the 1950s black and white TV show that uh, was on TV after school when I was a kid. So um, I really have – I don't have anything to draw on. I – the simple thing for me is I read the script, I thought it was a, a complex and really cool story as you know, in and of itself, um, and I thought the problems that jor faced in terms of his decisions as a father was a very interesting thing to do, so that's why I got involved. Cool. What was that thing about Marlon Brando? <laughs> you know, I actually have a connection to him. About three years after he was dead, this lady who was a friend of his, um, she'd been trying to track me down for a long time. And he'd given her a book of poetry to pass on to me. Um, It was by the American poet Patrick Cavanagh, not the the rebel Irish poet. And the title of the book was Some Men Are Too Gentle to Live Amongst Wolves. And uh, along with it came a little letter about, you know, how he liked watching certain films of mine. So... um, I don't know if this has anything to do with your question, but uh, I know that it really touched me when I received that because um, growing up as a young actor, his performances were very affecting to me, you know? You sort of... uh, You can take what you get out of doing amateur theatre or whatever once we see something like On the Waterfront or Streetcar Named Desire. You kind of realise that something did shift greatly in in cinema performance. So... uh, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I'm just going to sit back now. That's a
2: good answer. Uh, Who has the microphone? I know you have a question, but I have to get a microphone to you. Yes. Yes, sir. Hello. Um, For
1: Zach and for David, uh, you both have adapted superhero or comic books before into films. Uh, Could you talk about the challenges of taking on the Superman franchise and also your decision to not include Lex Luthor as a character in this first film?
2: Um. David Goyer.
1: Uh, uh, Look, it, it's a huge
11: challenge. I remember, I don't know, five or six years ago, someone asking me at one at a Batman junket whether or not I'd ever want to do Superman. And at the time, I said no. Um, but, um, you know, it's an enormous responsibility. People have a very proprietary relationship with Superman. A lot of people say, that's that's my Superman. But you think, well, you know, there's the Reeve Superman from the 50s and the Fleischer Superman and – the Lois and Clark Superman and the Donner Superman. And, uh, you know, it's important to respect the iconography and respect the canon. But uh, Henry was talking about this earlier. At the same time, you have to tell a story. And once you sort of land on who you think the character is and what his conflicts are, you have to let that lead you and not – you have to throw all that other stuff away and not be worried about this epic responsibility or it will just crush you and paralyze you.
2: Well, as a writer, since, uh, when you strip it down, what do you think is the ultimate, what do you think is Kellel's ultimate struggle in this, in this story? For me, it was very
11: simple. Uh, and it's, it's interesting that this occurred while I, I was writing the script. It's a story about two fathers. Um, and while I was writing the script, I became a stepdad and a dad and my own dad died. And so I never thought that my own experiences would be, you know, find their way into something like this. But if you boil it down to that, It's a man with two fathers, and he has to decide, you know, which kind of lineage he wants to choose. You know, my Kryptonian father or my Earth father. And in the end, it's kind of both, you know, that make him the man that he becomes.
2: Uh, Next question. Here. Who has the microphone? Yes. By the back.
7: No, here. Oh, right there. Sorry. Okay. Henry, uh, I hope you have seen some of the previous Superman. Um, You don't? You didn't? I have, yeah. <laughs> have you taken anything from other actors that have played this character before, if any, and how you wanted to, to be different from them? Um, I, I did not take anything from the other characters who have played it before. Uh, it, as As an actor, the way I do it and the way I viewed it is that all the actors that have come before, that's their interpretation of the source material, the source material being the comic books. And um, I wanted to, you know, have my interpretation, not out of a, a sense of ego, but a sense of the fact that it might be a disjointed performance if I have someone else's personality and their influence um, affecting the interpretation of the character. Um, so I, I just went straight to the comic books. Um, yes, I have watched the older movies, um, but I did not apply those performances to mine. Can I have a, I have a question for
2: Diane, if that's if that's okay? Diane, hello. Uh, I'm over here. There uh, you are. It's me. Um, my question is: so this whole time, Jonathan Kent is like, you can't, you have to be secret. You have to be secret. Do you feel like Martha feels that way too? Or when he finally, when he finally comes out and says, you know, I need to go public, and she's like, you know, she feels a little weird about it. What do you think? What do you think Martha's take is?
4: Well, the first time she sees the suit, is <laughs> kind of the answer to the question. I mean. I love that line that we managed to come up with where she says nice suit son. <laughs> because it's been waiting to be revealed and if anybody's holding their breath any more than mom I can't imagine who it would be. Yeah. You know, talk about your son coming out. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of built in, sorry Chuck. Um, you know. Different story. <laughs> well, um yeah, so I'm 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 sort of relieved and and grateful and you know, a bit overwhelmed by the havoc that it's wrought um, coming out of the collapsed house. And I love the metaphor um, of the family album that one would grab. What does one grab in, in a tornado or whatever, you know, something like that happening to your home. It's the memories and it's the value system of human life. And what And what is the value system of human life really? And the imprint that that we provided to Clark, you know. So I don't know if I answered your question, but I had a nice time. Tonight. That was
2: a gorgeous answer oh, to my you. question, <laughs> as a matter of fact. All right. Um, next question, yes, sir.
6: How you doing, Zilla? This question is for Michael Shannon. Um, you have the ability to play evil like no other. Like, where do you go to to channel that evilness? And who packs a better choreographed punch? Eminem and Eight Mile, or Henry and Man of Steel?
8: <laughs> Satan. <laughs> yeah that's where i go for my evil i get my bucket and i go down to the well i say satan are you down there i gotta be evil today i lower the bucket down in the well and the lava comes back up and i drink it, oh, you drink it. i drink it okay. and it hurts but then i take some alka seltzer and some pepto bismol and uh no i don't know i mean I really don't know. I don't. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I couldn't be anything further from who I actually am. I'm kind of just a tall, lanky, goofy person, and uh, and then I do these other things, and uh, I don't even. I don't even necessarily ever think of it as evil. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I can't. I I keep ragging my brains like. Was my guy an eight-mile evil? Why do people say I'm evil? I don't get it. It's like where people say, Van Alden, he's so evil. I'm like, look at all the other men on Boardwalk Empire. Let's line them all up shoulder to shoulder. Now, you're telling me that Van Alden is the most evil person on this television program? So I don't really know. Uh, In terms of choreographed punch, it's no secret, I don't think, to anybody in this room that I'm much stronger than Henry is. So... uh, uh, there were a lot of ice packs, I think, back at the hotel for, for Henry. Yeah. <laughs> I was half hoping you were just going to say what the about, Satan what, thing. What, what about then you ended... and Russell? What? What about you and Russell? Oh. No, Russell. When, when, yeah. You no, Russell is. You know? Russell Russell really kicks my butt uh, in this movie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's the gladiator. What are you going to do? You can't, you can't <laughs> win. Uh, oh, and then 8 Mile. Oh, that fight. Wow. What a walk down memory lane. Uh,
2: oh, yes, you, ma'am. Hi, for Russell and
1: Diane. Um, you play such convincing and, and really heartfelt parents in this, different you know, places, different times. But uh, what did you go to within each of you, your own parental skills, your own feelings about your, your children, to get to that point? Because I really felt it from both of you, the love and the care and the concern for Call Clark.
4: Oh, uh, that's a sweet question, a nice one to take a whack at. Um, well, I think in some ways you answered it really well because it's it's a hybrid of of many things. But certainly, once you're a parent, it informs everything you do. And this is such a unique scenario having an alien come into your you know barn and raise it, and um, happens to be a very beautiful human specimen that actually has got a lot of other things going on. And, you know, the challenge in the backstory that Zach and Kevin and I really enjoyed discussing, which was not part of the script, is imagining what it would be like to temper a young person's um, attitude adjustment that's required in the, in the rearing of children um, when they have the powers that Clark has. So, you know, um, it was fun having those conversations and you can fill in the blanks and maybe there'll be some funny ones written for future, future story plots. But, um, I, I feel that the love that one has for one's, once you fall in love with a, with a being that needs you, you, you imprint and you want it to represent your belief system and how does that manifest and what is sacred to you. And and that that winds up being conveyed eventually when you're not even there to see it. That's the hope of parenthood. So um, A for effort and now you have a couple (laughs) of I had a
9: very interesting experience being a father on this movie. I think Zach employed four babies as the recently born Calel and unlike in my own experience as a father of two even though I'm pretty slick with a nappy but on this movie we got farted on first that was okay then the then the topic happened
4: <laughs>
9: under those hot lights it was after lunch to be expected and I got a handful of the essential Kryptonian material. (laughs) So I learned a lot. I had new experiences as a parent on this movie that I hadn't previously had. So thank you, Zach.
5: I just want to, you know, add to the tapestry of your life as best I can.
11: (laughs) So I... For, for Mr. Snyder and Mr. Goyer, one of the very uh, simple sources of beauty in this film for me was the the nonlinear narrative. Um, I'm curious if you could talk about when that came across and uh, how you decided to go that route. Um, I mean, usually, when uh, any time I've ever been involved in a nonlinear story, you you start it in a linear manner first just to make sure it makes sense, and then you chop it up and Move it around, and and that was a process that we started with when Zach came aboard, and and some of it shifted, you know, as we were moving on.
5: Yeah, I think that it just it's a cool way to, you know, you're you know you're with Clark and he's making his way, and just sort of getting these cool little insights into the why of him, and it's I think it's just fun to do it in a way that, you know, rather than every when he's facing a, a decision you sort of get you get to see the why of what made him make those decisions and sort of presenting it in that way i think you know allows to keep the momentum of the story going and it also you know gets you get an insight into you know the man i think in a, in a, in a way that is interesting and it's it serves the movie in a really fun way too i think Yeah.
11: and also i think it was arresting to go from the craft impacting in Kansas to boom, 33 years later and he's on a crab boat and just sort of, um, I don't know, playing with people's expectations, I guess. Sure.
2: I I want to throw a question at uh, Debbie and Chuck, which is, so just talking before about baby, this movie was basically your guys' baby. So how do you, how do you... Uh, bring something of this magnitude, you know, with seventy-five years behind. Like, how do you bring this to life, and how do you maintain it, and make sure that you are stay true to the the vision that you guys had for it?
0: Well, I think when you start thinking about the magnitude of who this character is, and how big it is, and how big the responsibility is you could really get yourself, like, paralyzed. So what you have to do is just break it down piece by piece and just look at it as the process. I mean, first it was getting the story right. And, you know, at its core, I think Superman has been around for 75 years because of the story. Um, And then it's just about, you know, day to day seeing what task is at hand and, you know, choosing the right people to bring Zack's vision of it, you know, to life. And, you know, casting these wonderful people, the right people to bring these characters, to make them alive. You know, choosing the right composer to make the music as powerful and moving as it should be. And and I think you just have to look at it day by day and piece by piece.
10: Um, Obviously, a lot of what Debbie says holds true for me as well. Um, You know, when... uh, I was fortunate that there was already an existing draft of a screenplay when I was uh, asked to join the process and, um, was very, uh, you know, excited about the potential, excited because of the challenge and, you know, a bit scared because of the challenge, but those are the great, you know, that, that scaredness or, or, you know, that, that is, is what makes something worth doing and, um, the, uh we were really, really blessed that we had a, you know, it doesn't happen all the time, that everybody's got the exact same vision of what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, and really, you know, the, the, uh, the vision that we followed, which ultimately was Zach's, was in concert with everybody who was working on the movie. And so uh, it was a really a, a great process. And um, it was, in that sense, notwithstanding the fact that we shot a huge amount of days, even though, you know, almost three times the normal shooting schedule. And the post-production process, because of the visual effects, went for an extraordinary amount of time. And it doesn't really matter how expensive the movie was. You never really think you have enough money to get it all done. Uh, It was Still one of the most pleasurable experiences that I've had because there was never any doubt uh, that we were all pulling in exactly the same direction.
2: Do you ever look at stuff in the script and you go, I don't know how we're going to be able to pull this off? And then you figure it out and then you're like, I cannot believe we were able to pull that off. All the time. <laughs>
0: well, I think the visual effects, I think just the the action sequences and the, the fighting and flying that Zach had envisioned and had been working on with DJ, our visual effects supervisor, and Damon, our fight choreographer and stunt coordinator, they were so challenging, and it was pushing the limits. I think it built on things that we had done in the past, but it definitely pushed them further. And you do have to have this leap of faith because you... You, you set out to have this plan of how it's going to be done, and you're moving forward with this plan, but you don't exactly know how it's going to end up in the end. And you're just relying on all these, you know, amazing um, artists and uh, visual effects houses to, like, pull through, and you have faith in them, too.
1: Great. Uh, any anywhere? Yes. Henry, I'm wondering if you can settle the Internet debate as to how Superman does shave. Will there be some (laughs) kryptonite nair maybe in the next one, take care of the chest? And uh, on a more serious note, I I love the idea of you got to give him hope, which was obviously Harvey Milk's mantra. And I think that's really important for a character that kind of speaks to those who feel like they're outsiders. So can we talk about some shaving and and then a little deeper after that? Um,
7: Have
0: you seen the, the? I have. Yeah, yeah.
7: Um, I, I think some things better remain a mystery. <laughs> what would people do otherwise, apart from talk about it? Um, what was the question exactly about hope? Uh, you have the
1: the expression that I think jor says: "You have to give them hope." You and Harvey Milk's expression, his mantra was: "You got to give them hope. You got to give them hope." Mm-hmm. And I feel like for a, a character like Superman, kind of speaks to the outsider, speaks to the kid who doesn't really fit in, the one who's being picked on for whatever reason. And I really appreciated that kind of connection.
7: Um, I, I don't think he necessarily speaks to the outsider alone. He speaks to everyone. Um, in, or, or that ideal speaks to everyone. Uh, we, we all need hope, uh, no matter what century we're in, whatever state of life we're in, uh, whether we're going through tragedy or not. Um, it's just hope that everything will be okay. Um, and if it is tragedy and there's disaster happening, hope that we can overcome it. Um, I don't think it's... It's solely for those who are outsiders and those who are alone. It's for everyone. That is a cool point
2: though, because that's the first sort of cinematic portrayal of Superman where you're like, Oh yeah, he doesn't fit in. He and he's and it, it weirds him out that he doesn't fit in and he kind of doesn't want it. And so watching that struggle was was really it was really great because it just, you know, again, he's not a human, but you connect with him on a human level because of that.
5: Yeah, because you think that Superman in your mind, you're like, "Oh, well, everything's gonna be great because he, he can fly, and right. you know, he's that's awesome." But then you're like, "Wait a minute, he also got makes f- you different, yeah." You know, and that's.
1: And then later, he has the biggest coming out
2: story ever. <laughs> right, <laughs>
5: <laughs> Superman's got Super feelings.
2: Um, yes, sir. Question is this: We keep hearing the term uh, Zach's vision. I'm really curious. We've been hearing about this movie for a long time. You've been wanting to do it. What was what were the magic words you said to get this gig? What was your vision
5: that you sold? What, what happened to get it made? Oh, kickback, I think, was the <laughs> <laughs> was the word that I used. How did you present uh, it? <laughs> um, you know, I don't know. I think, uh, I think that, you know, my first – Debbie and I went and had um, lunch with Chris and Emma, and we talked about this Superman project. I remember actually the first time they – when we were setting the meeting, it was – it was like, hey, you guys want to have lunch? And if we talk about Superman, is that weird? <laughs> and we, were, we 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 thought, okay, no, no, Superman's cool. I mean, it, I was worried about Superman, honestly, as a project, just because it's a thing I was interested in, but then on the other hand, was scared of because Superman is Superman, and he, you know, it, it it's a lot of. It seemed at the time like a lot of work to make work. Though I will say that when I read David's script and when I, after talking to Chris, I will say that sort of the... I think it was... There, didn't, there was no fear in the script, in the idea. You know, the idea was very straightforward and very confident. And I think that's what gave me this um, feeling of confidence... That, that I've felt like I could, okay, I can, there is, there is a thing in there to make cool. There is a thing in there that I'm, that I'm interested in. And maybe I need to just let go of the fear of, um, this icon that, you know, because I, I, I do like Superman as a, as a character. And I have, um, um, you know, followed him throughout the years and, 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 the fear for me was that, you know, could I honor, you know, what he's been or what he has the potential to be maybe. And, you know, I think David did an amazing job with the script and and that was in there and we just had to go after it. And so I think the vision was just, you know, this sort of unapologetic Superman movie that we wanted to make that didn't, we didn't need to, I always felt, I felt like in, in the recent past, people have been apologizing for Superman a little bit, you know, um, for his costume, for his origins, for his, I don't know, the way he fits into society. And we really wanted to just say, no, no, this is, this is the mythology. This is how it is. And it's supposed to be this way. And I think that's kind of the movie we made, um, we wanted to, you know, enshrine him where he belongs. And whether or not that's, you know, making it too important, I don't know. Uh, but it was the way we wanted to do it. So it, it was fun. It was fun to do. I think we have time for one more
2: question. Yeah. So it better be
4: good. The music yeah. on this film is so terrific. And I love the film. And I'm wondering if you, Zach, and um, Thank you. Hans I, I worked on could, really hard. No, could talk finish. about your collaboration, <laughs> how you came up with the score. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
5: I brought a guitar one day, and then I broke it because I can't play a guitar. (laughs) No, Hans, the the only thing I'll say before I let Hans talk is that um, before we began working on the music, I I got questions about the music, you know, like from early, once we announced that we were going to make the movie, you know, you get on the phone... And you think you're going to talk about, uh, oh, you're making a Superman gr- movie. That's great. You know, What's your take? Blah, blah, blah. It was, are you going to use the music from the other film, from okay. the John Williams score? I was like, wow, God, okay, I, uh, I, we haven't shot a frame of film. I don't know that. <laughs> um, but that's how we knew that music was out there and that it, it's, uh, it's a strong piece of music. But because our philosophy, of course, was we wanted to act as if no films had ever been made – we wanted to act as if we had found these comic books under our bed and said, hey, this would be a cool movie. We should, make a, we should make this Superman into a movie. Um, because we had sort of taken that point of view, there was no cherry picking of stuff. You couldn't go, hey, it'd be cool if we just borrowed these other, these couple of little things. That's fine, right? So we knew that it was going to be, there was, everything was going to be from zero. And, um... I was hoping, we we talked early about, oh, you think, Chris, do you think you could, like, when you're down there talking to Hans about your other movie, could you twist his arm or bribe him somehow into working on the Superman movie? And I don't know exactly what was said, but for whatever reason, he, he agreed, so... I don't know if there's pictures or... We could
6: ask him now, huh? What it is. Why? Exactly. What happened? <laughs> but, yeah. um, well, I, I was a reluctant bride. I kept, I kept going because, because not, not like Russell, I had actually seen the other Superman movies. And I, th- I, just, I just think that John Williams' music is incredible. Um, so a couple of things happened. Yes, Chris said to me, come on, you can do the Superman movie. Um, And I kept saying, no, I can't do the Superman movie because the big difference is when you went into Warner Brothers with the idea for a Superman movie, you actually had an idea. I have nothing. (laughs) And then Zach and I started talking and his vision, I mean, completely, it's entirely the only reason the score exists is because he sort of took me by the hand and went, this is what I want to do. And I'm going, yeah, I can feel that the other thing is he's a great art- artist. He's, he doodles. He draws. And that's a great language for me because um, – and David, I think you forgive me for this because the way we started was I said, I don't want to read the script. Tell me the story because then I knew what was that's in – That's how th- Zach
11: and I started. Yeah. Yeah, he, but, drew, he drew pictures. Yeah,
6: because th- then I knew what was in his head and and, and – we knew one thing. and You know, here's the funny, here's the thing. I, I know what it's like to be a foreigner. I know what it's like to be an outsider. I have no superpowers. But <laughs> other than that... Oh, come on.
5: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right.
6: Um, so, so I was going from this, and the other, the other thing which I felt, which I think both Zach and I felt was really important, was this idea of hope. The, You know, that we would celebrate something. We'd, we would celebrate an America that, has not been celebrated in so long, and just be genuine and right from the heart, and just. And then there came the moment after three months of procrastination, where Zach said, "Hey, you got anything yet?" <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going. Well, uh, 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 got some sort of posters you can put up on the fridge. He goes, "Well, I love posters. I love doodles." Um, I'll I'll be down on Tuesday, and then afterwards he confessed that Chris actually said to him, "If you're not going down to Zimmer's place, you're never going to hear anything." <laughs> so that's how we did the score. Excellent.
5: It's funny too because the one thing I think that's interesting, and one thing and that comes through, I think, the score. It, it's it's a giant. There's big events in the film, and the score is amazingly supportive of those events but there is also the thing i think that hans did that's amazing is that there is this and we talked about it even before i heard it you know we had said like oh be cool if the score if the superman score was humble if there was humility in the score in like the superman theme if you will if there was if there was humility in it which is really hard like what it's, like, abstract. I just said humility. And now make a, make that into music, whatever that means. Like, I, thank God I'm not a musician because, like, I would never do that to him, right? Like, oh, it would be cool if the score was more – if it was humble. It's like – I probably <laughs> laughed and he probably said, like, that guy, I want to kill him. <laughs> um, and, but then you hear it and it's, like, in – it's in it, you know? It's literally it, – it's that's – you know, he says he doesn't have the superpowers, but, like, you hear – you know, whatever that is, however many notes that is, um, just in that little thing. And you're like, wow, that's humble. And you're like, well, I just said it. You know, it's like he made – he you, you somehow – that happened, you know, in, in musically. I don't – anyway. Well, awesome. I have
6: a lot to be humble about, and it's me playing the piano. And one of the things I really have to be humble about is my piano playing. <laughs> and, and, it, and it's sort of weird because all these great pianists were trying to play this tune, and they just didn't sound right. Um, it had to be, you know – the bad right hand here yeah.
2: <laughs> cool for Henry
6: you basically are a child of two
2: families and so how much like what's the composition between because you know kal could have ended up with a family of you know thieves and then they could have exploited his powers you know so how much how much is he a Kent and how much is he a House of
7: El uh good question he is clearly House of El genetically um, he's, he's grown up that way And that's why he has his powers But he has no real introduction To the House of El Until, his, until later life And um, His entire upbringing is Based upon this Family which teaches him To make the right decisions When he can um, And not necessarily just for everyone else um, When he finally gets An introduction to the House of El His um, true heritage if you will It's more about um, lead from the front. Be who you are and be who you are proudly and do the right thing with it still. And so that one thing which runs through both families is doing the right thing. And it's just interesting that one says lead from the back and the other says lead from the front.
2: Excellent. Um, Thank you guys for coming out. Please have a huge hand for the entire panel and the producers and the director and the cast and Hans Zimmer. Thank you very much for coming out and uh, have a good afternoon
4: now leaving nerdist.com enjoy your burrito
1: i have missed these friday night dinners
4: hey, welcome to harvey graf
1: at these family dinners
4: Delicious, everyone
1: dysfunction is served
4: wow.
1: i can't have you all messing things up for my entire adult life
2: oh i'm sorry do we embarrass you
8: jump jump, jump jump
2: it's already better than i dared to
0: dream